once again. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas Eve. Man, it's a good Christmas Eve. Is it a good Christmas Eve for you? I don't know why. I'm like so excited today. Um, maybe it's because, I don't know, my family's here today. I'm so excited to see all of you like sitting right there. It's just so fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to see everyone and thankful for everyone. I'm thankful for my family. Um, I'm also thankful for Christmas Eve traditions, which we're going to get to today. So just so you know, I know we started late. We want to give time to people to get from Williams, but um, we're going to respect your time today. We're going to worship God and take the time it does it takes to do that. But we're also going to, uh, I'm not going to preach for an hour, probably. Like that, that's just I'm going to get home and do Tim City. Do you guys have Christmas Eve traditions? This has nothing to do with my sermon, but we've been building a blanket fort extraordinaire. And we figured out it's the 12th year this year, right? It started as just like a little, like over a couple chairs. And now our entire basement with 30, almost 30 blankets is going to be covered in a fort that we're going to hang out in today and people sleep in tonight. I asked them, I'm like, do you guys want to stop doing this? I mean, you're 14 and almost 18 now. Are you guys too old for this? And they looked at me like I was insane. They're like, what did, did you just say? I'm like, okay. So I think we're going to be doing this until you guys great. Right? Oh, so, does he love that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I hope you guys have Christmas Eve traditions. If you don't, um, and you got little kids, start them because they're just the best. So it's, it's so exciting to look forward to them. Uh, hey, Brian, I'm back here. I want to call you out. I keep this drove 12 hours last night so we can do it this today. So I'm excited to see you. You get a cheer. I didn't get a cheer. You get a cheer. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. If you weren't here with us last week, we started our series called Advent, our three-week series. If you're unfamiliar with the word Advent, it's just a fancy church word of saying the arrival or the coming. It just means the arrival or the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ. I don't know why we have these fancy church words, but Advent is one of those traditions that I really like. So uh, we do it every year. So that's when we say the Advent, that's what we that's what we need. And so for the second week of Advent, TJ started this last week. We'll talk about that in a second. But for the second week of Advent, we're going to be talking about something just so Exciting. Do you, do you know what that is? We're going to be talking through the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew 1. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, you know that beginning, if you've ever seen it, that, that at the beginning of Matthew, it's really the beginning of the New Testament, where it's just a big long list of names that you always just, well, skip over when you read the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to spend our time today. Now, that, I realize that might sound a little bit boring. But I'm telling you, it is exciting, and just trust me, when you dive into those lists of names, it, it turns from just a list of names to this like, amazing testimony of God's faithfulness, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. It becomes something amazing that displays God's love. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about, not just names in a list, right, but, but what that says about who God is and who we are in reflection of his glory. So that's where we're going. But let me recap last week. Last week, uh, TJ preached, and he laid the groundwork for us just fantastically. Um, he, he laid the groundwork for our theme of the Advent series, which is um, God with us. You can say Emmanuel. We're going to look at that in Matthew, right? Emmanuel is a name for Christ. It means God with us. And what TJ did is he showed us that, like, basically the whole story of the Bible, he showed us through the whole story of the Bible that the story of Christ coming to live with us is really God restoring to us or beginning to restore to us what was lost in the Garden of Eden, right? What we lost all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, that because of sin, because of us making our own choices instead of doing what God asked us to do, that we were separated from God. And therefore, the, the Father was no longer with us the way that he was with us at, at, at the beginning, right? And so... Um, 
Advent, the advent of Jesus, is not only the coming of Jesus, is not only God declaring his glory to the world, it is. It's not only that God came to save us from our sins so that we could that, that we could be redeemed through him, it was that too. But it was really the restoring through the righteousness of Christ, God restoring to us his presence with his people again. Which is maybe the best part of it all, right? We we thank God for saving us from our sins. Praise God for that. But what this is really about is today, Christ coming to be with us, God. God with us, Emmanuel. So what we're going to do today is we're simply just going to add to that story. Right? We're going we're gonna to look at it again through, the, through basically the entire Bible, but this time we're going to do it through the lens of people's lives. We're going to look at them, and through their lives, we're going to see the testimony of how God restored his presence among us with Christ, and how he did that. Not just how he did that, but who he did that through. See how that just displays God's immeasurable grace and love for us. So here's what we're going to do. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. First book in the New Testament, but still about 75% of the way through the Bible. Maybe 80% of the way through the Bible. And we're actually going to start today in verse 18. I said, I said verse 1. But we're going to look at the Christmas story in Matthew, in, in the book of Matthew. We're going to read that, and then we'll come back and... Look at the genealogy. So if you've got your Bibles open, it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll read to the end of the end of the chapter. Okay, here we go. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So really quickly. In the ancient world, when someone got betrothed, it was like a marriage. And so they'd get engaged, they'd be betrothed, and then typically there was about a year waiting period where the husband would get the house ready and the family would take care of all the stuff, and they'd have the big, enormous, week-long wedding at the end of all of that. And then they would consummate the marriage, and then they would be spiritually linked forever. But legally, in the Jewish culture in particular, when you got betrothed, you were legally married. And so to get to, to separate, you had to get legally divorced, even though spiritually in God's eyes you weren't quite married yet. Does that make sense? So if that ever confused you, I said Joseph was going to divorce her. That's why. And so Joseph proves here that he's a, he's a good man, right? He's going to divorce her because she's pregnant and they've never consummated anything, right? But um, he didn't want to put her to shame. So, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, and we'll come back to that phrase, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as your wife, to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now keep in mind, what we're going to read next is from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7. And it was written almost 700 years. Do you hear that? Almost 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Um, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is, of course, the reason theme for this little series. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He called his name Jesus. So that's the part of the story that most of us have heard that most of us know, right? Even even Christians who who are even people who aren't Christians, even atheists, a lot of them know the story of what we at least celebrate on Christmas, right? That that God came and made Mary pregnant, the virgin bore a son, 
and named his name Jesus. And so if we add from the Gospel of Luke, we add in there that he was born in a manger because there was no room at the end. They said born in a barn and laid in an animal trough, a manger. We kind of get the story, the amazing story, the humble story of how God became man, how God became God with us. So that he would not just bring salvation to the world, but his literal, literal presence would be with us through the Son, Jesus Christ, and then later through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's the part of the story that we, a lot of us at least, have read about before, how we talk about what we, we talk about on, maybe some of us from like our Christmas Eve tradition, we're going to read the Christmas story with our kids, and so we make Christmas about Christmas. It's the thing that we think about every single year, but sometimes we don't always think about how we got there, right? how all of this came to be, how God made that happen. And when we do, when we really think through that, it becomes a much richer, much fuller, much more encouraging and hopeful story. So that's what we're going to be doing with the genealogy today. We're going to look at the story of others and see how God brought this moment to fruition. And I hope it encourages you as much as it does me, because I absolutely love it. You better love it like I do today, because I won't be able to stand here this morning, right? So, all that being said, let's open back up to Matthew. Open back up to Matthew. And we're going to start in verse 1, and we're just going to read two verses. Now, don't worry. We're not covering every name here. We're only covering five or six, because it's... Christmas Eve, and I, we don't want to preach it for two hours, although I'd love to. Basically, a big section of it are, king, are kings, and you can just go evil, 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 good, evil, 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 good. Right? That's, we just summed up about half of this, right? But we're going to start at the beginning. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of gene genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? So if you don't pick up on this, it says at the top, this is the genealogy, the family line of Jesus Christ, right? The book of gene genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll talk about those later. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there. We're just going to look at a few names right there in those first two verses. So let's start with a man named Abraham. If you've ever come to Freshwater, you've heard a lot about Abraham over time, so we won't spend a lot of time here, but here's kind of what's most important. Abraham is considered by many, particularly the Jewish people, but a lot of us as, as basically the father of our faith, right? So here's what happened. In Genesis 12, God came to Abraham and he told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, right? Abraham, I'm going to give you and your wife Sarah a son. But here's the thing. Abraham and Sarah were old, like really old, like close to 100 years old. And Sarah had been barren her whole life. So this wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to give you a, a son. I'm going to give you a, a miraculous son. And not only am I going to give you this son, but through this son, I'm going to build a family line through you. A family line that's going to get so big, it's going to be like the stars in the sky. It's going to be like the sand on the seashore. And those people, that family, that gigantic family that I'm going to build, are going to be my people. I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And here's the important part of this story. And he says, through that son, through that family line, I'm going to bless every family on earth. Every nation on earth. And so this is the promise that God made to Abraham. And it, so if it's not clear to us exactly what was happening in that moment, in the New Testament, 3,000, 4,000 years later, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, God tells us that in that moment, God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, he was preaching that to, to Abraham. So we don't always think of that promise as the gospel. The Bible tells us the gospel. Now, did Abraham know that God was telling him about Jesus Christ? No, in the moment, he didn't know how God was going to bless every nation on earth. He didn't know how he's going to bless every family on earth. But he's saying, through your family line, I'm going to send a Savior who is going to make it so anyone from any family, any nation can be saved if they just repent and believe in Jesus Christ. 
That's what was really happening in this moment with, with Abraham. So Abraham believed God. And his, as they say in scripture, his faith was counted as righteousness. God looked at him as right before him because Abraham believed and followed him. Praise God. That's really the beginning of this whole thing. This is the beginning of God redeeming what was lost in the garden through a man named Abraham who wasn't special other than God said, you're going to be special. So praise God for the faithfulness of Abraham. Sounds like a pretty amazing guy, right? And he was in a lot of ways. But remember, that was, that was the first half of Genesis 12 where he came and made that promise to Abraham. You know what happened in the second half of Genesis 12? Like just a few verses later, Abraham showed a complete lack of faith in God. Like just a few verses later. See, here's what happened. There was a famine in the land. There wasn't enough to eat. So Abraham decided to take his family down to Egypt. But the deal was Sarah, apparently Abraham's wife, was really, really beautiful. Right? And so he was afraid he was going to go down to Egypt. They were going to see, see Sarah and think she was really beautiful and want her. And they were going to kill him. So he says, I got an idea, Sarah. We're going to tell everybody you're my sister. We're going to go down and they ask, say, you're my sister. The only problem with that, that means that Sarah is an unmarried woman. So if they're worried about some Egyptian trying to claim her, does that solve the problem? No, now she's an unmarried woman going down to Egypt. Now, this is the ancient world, right? Keep this in mind. This doesn't apply now, but this is how it was then, right? If they're going to try to claim her and make, them, make her his wife. So he was basically risking Sarah and all these things happening to her to protect himself. By the second half of Genesis 12, it's like Abraham forgot all of God's promises. Forgot that he was going to give them a son. Forgot that he was going to protect them. Because the only way that that could happen is if God kept Abraham alive. Now, isn't that crazy? The man of faith. The man of righteousness. It only took him a few verses. The man of faithful righteousness at times. Not always, but at times. Was faithless. And was even a liar. Now, why am I bringing that up on Christmas? Does that sound encouraging on Christmas? Here's why I bring it up on Christian. Christian, particularly those who, who know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Have you ever been faithful in one moment and be like, I mean, I was faithful to God in this, and then been unfaithful in something in the next moment? That ever happened to you? Yeah, have you ever been like really honest and then at one, one moment you, you lie or you tell a white lie or you exaggerate for absolutely no reason? That you ever, anybody ever done that? Listen, I'm not saying any of those things are okay. Right? But listen, if you've ever been faithless in a moment, faithful sometimes, but faithless in a moment, if you've ever deceived or lied, listen, you're in good company. It doesn't mean it's okay. But this is the kind of people that God uses. This is the kind of people that God brought, God brought salvation to the world. Maybe you can forgive yourself and move forward because, again, you're in good company. You're in the company of Abraham, the man of faith. Let's look at the next one. Jacob. And we're not, we're not really looking at Jacob. We're looking at one of his wives. But Abraham did have the son. His name was Isaac. Like the promised son. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's a big deal. I think, I think TJ even mentioned Jacob last week, didn't you? Here's the reason Jacob's such a big deal. He had 12 sons. And, they, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And his 12 sons ended up becoming the 12 tribes of the Jewish people. Right, the, to, the, some Jewish people still track their family lines all the way back to the original twelve tribes. But like Paul, when he's talking about his qualifications, where in Philippians he talks about what tribe he's from. Like this is a big deal. Jacob was a big deal. The nation of Israel and the Jewish people were birthed out of him and his sons through his grandpa Abraham. 
that you know the story of his sons, and particularly the story of his wives. So his wives get forgotten in the story, but I think it's one of the best parts of the story. See, Jacob wanted to marry a woman named Rachel. And maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe I'm putting words in the Bible, but Jacob was obsessed with Rachel. Right? She was the pretty one. She was the popular one. She was the one that everybody wanted, including Jacob. So Jacob asked Laban, his father, if he could marry her. And he said, yeah. So they go to get married, and it's a long story on top right now, but he basically tricked Abraham, and instead of marrying Rachel, he married the older daughter, Leah. You see, Leah was the one that nobody wanted. That Laban couldn't marry off, couldn't get somebody to marry her. So he tricked Jacob into marrying Leah first. Now, through a long story, eventually he ends up, right or wrong, like we're going to say wrong, giving Rachel to him too. He says, basically to bride, like, yeah, you'll, you'll have Rachel, but Rachel but doesn't marry to Leah. So he eventually marries Rachel. And again, that obsession with Rachel didn't go away. And so what happened is Leah never felt loved by Jacob. She never felt wanted by Jacob. She thought Jacob didn't want her. She knew that Jacob wanted Rachel more. So what she do? She begged God to give her sons. Now, children are always a big deal. But remember, in the ancient world, to have sons, to especially have a firstborn son, was a very big deal, right? In the ancient world, it's a very big deal. So she prayed to God to give her sons so that Jacob would love her more. Do you think it, you think it worked? So she had the first son. Do you think Jacob loved her now more than Rachel? No. And then she had a second son. Rachel still hasn't had any. She has a second son. She thought, surely now Jacob will love me. Do you think it changed anything? No. Had a third son. Rachel still hasn't had any kids. Had a third son. Third son in a row. She's like, finally, now, surely Jacob is going to love me at least as much as Rachel. No. Finally, she had a fourth son. She had a fourth son. Instead of approaching it, in Genesis 29, we see that she had a fourth son. Instead of approaching it the way she did before, she had that son, and she said, this time, this time, I praise this time, I praise the Lord. She stopped making about her <coughs> wanting her husband to want her as much as his, as her sister. She said, this time I'll praise the Lord. You know what the name of that son was? Ishakar. Judah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, fourth name. And Judah was the son that the Lion of Judah came from. That's why Jesus is sometimes called the Lion of Judah. See, God didn't choose the pretty one. He didn't choose the most popular one. He didn't choose the one that everyone noticed, that everyone paid attention to. Sometimes God does that, but he didn't do that here. No, he brought his line through the forgotten one. Through the one that nobody noticed. Through the one that felt unloved and unseen by everyone around him. That just wanted her husband to notice her. Why am I bringing this up today? Listen, have you ever felt that way? Unloved? Forgotten? Unseen. Can I just tell you, listen, God sees you. And God knows you. And like he loved Leah, God deeply loves you. See, this is the beautiful part of these stories when you start looking at it. It shows us that, that God never forgets you. God never abandons you. You're never forgotten. You're never truly alone. This is the kind of person that God chose to build his family line through in the direct line of his Savior son, Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, through Judah, where she finally said, this time, I'm not going to make it about this. I will praise the Lord. The forgotten, the unseen, the not noticed. 
I love the people that God chose to bring his name on. Let's look at another woman. And maybe not the type of woman we would expect to be in the family line of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles back up. Turn back to Matthew chapter 1. And this time we're going to skip a couple verses again because we can't cover every name as much as I want to. We'll get right into verse 5. Matthew 1, verse 5, we're going to read through verse 6. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. <coughs> and we're not going to talk about Jesse today, but in the New Testament, we see the root of Jesse is talking about Jesus. Because of the father of David, who came. We'll get to David in a second, but that's not where we're starting today. That's not where we're starting right now. So Solomon had a son named Boaz with a woman named Rahab. You know the story of Rahab? It's a good story. You don't know it. So all the way back in the book of Joshua, right back at the beginning of the New Testament. So Joshua became the leader of the Israelite people after they were freed from slavery in Egypt, right? So Moses led them out of Egypt, and then after Moses died, Joshua took, took over. Let's just be honest. Joshua was awesome, right? I mean, Joshua's just awesome. So anyway... Joshua is leading the people of Israel out of the desert into the land that God promised them, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so as they get ready to move into the promised land, there's, there's someone in their way. It's a city, a walled city called Jericho. And Jericho is one of the most famous cities, not just in the Bible, one of the most famous cities in the history of the world. It's maybe one of the oldest cities in the world, and it had a big wall that everybody knew about. It was impossible to stop Jericho. And so Joshua sent some spies into the city of Jericho. And while they were there, they kind of got cornered. And so a prostitute named Rahab protected them. Right? She brought them in her house and she protected them so they wouldn't be found. And this is what Rahab said. Right? Remember, a prostitute said, I've heard about you, God, and I know about him. I know what he did to the Egyptians, how he freed your people. I know how powerful he is. And I know he's going to get the city of Jericho. So when you come and you take the city, I'll, I'll, sit, I'll make sure that you guys get out of here because you remember my family. Remember me and save them. And so they promised, okay, Rahab, we'll remember you. So apparently she had a little apartment or a little house inside the top of the wall with a window. So she lowered out a rope and she, they got out at night. They went down the wall and they ran off. And then Joshua came back and in. And they defeated. Man, I wish we could talk about the fall of Jericho, right? It's awesome. But the walls of Jericho fell. They took the city and they remembered Rahab. They kept their promise. And Rahab and her family were saved. So I want you to think about this. Not only did God use a prostitute to bring salvation to these men, but he used her to bring victory for Israel over one of the most powerful and intimidating forces in all of the ancient world at the time. But most importantly, she later married a man from not only a Jew, but from the line of Abraham himself, a man named Boaz. And they had a son. That was who that came to be. That was a part of the protected line the line that would bring salvation and blessing to the world. That's incredible. And the reason I say that's incredible is there is there any part of you that's ever felt that not that God could not really use you if you were to take the Jesus? God couldn't really use you because like like because of who you are and the things that you've done and how you feel about yourself. Well can I just tell you that is a lie. That is just a lie from hell because it's through people just like you. It's through people just like Rahab that God does his most amazing work. 
Right? When God does work like this through the most unimaginable people possible, he shows his goodness. He shows his glory. He shows his grace, his love, and his forgiveness for anyone who will come to him and just believe. Rahab believed, and she brought salvation, helped bring salvation to the Israelite people. And her son was part of the line that brought salvation to the world. That's incredible. I love that God used people like Rahab. Amen. Like Rahab. Man, I wanted to also talk about how God uses people like Ruth. We don't have time for that. So go read the book of Ruth. It's such an encouraging story. It's so good. I had to cut it out for time today, but it's so good. It's so good. So we're going to skip up. Skip on to the story of David. So Joseph was called, if you remember, in Matthew, they called Joseph after Joseph and Mary. Joseph was called the son of David. Jesus is also called the son of David. Why? Well, because through the line of the lion and bear killing, Goliath slain, psalm writing, enemy conquering, king of all Israel, David, God promised through him he was going to set up his eternal kingdom. Right? He said a kingdom that would have no end, that would go on forevermore. David was a picture of the king that would come, that would be the king of kings and the lord of lords. It was through the kingly line of David that God would bring his eternal king, Jesus Christ. So Abraham started the people and started the line. But David as king was a reflection of the, not just that a savior would be born, but that savior would be a king. And David did incredible things. He was described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. It was incredible. But if you know the story, there was a dark side of David's story too, right? Did incredible things. We love the story of Goliath, right? But if you remember... While on a rooftop, on his rooftop patio, he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop, right? And he wanted her. David was there. So he sent for her. She came. They met. And long story short, she got pregnant. Right? And they weren't married. And as, as if adultery wasn't bad enough, she was also married. She also had a husband. And after it all went down, instead of coming clean, David instead reached out to his general, Joab. And he said to Joab, his general, Hey, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, the woman, when, when, he, when he's out fighting, I want you to send him to the front lines. And while he's out on the front lines, when he gets in a precarious position, I want you to pull back all the other forces and leave him out there alone so that he'll be killed. David had someone killed to cover up his own sin. The man after God's own heart. So eventually that sin was revealed. And listen, as sin sometimes ends, God forgives sin, but sin can be costly, can't it? The consequences of our sin, and the consequences to David himself, we don't have time for it, but the consequences to David himself, and even for all of Israel, because he was their king, were pretty dire. But listen, God forgave him. God forgave that. Not only that, he said, your sin has been cast as far as, as the east is from the west, as if it's gone. He forgave him. And not only did he forgive him, this is the astounding part, not only did he forgive him, but through him he set up the kingdom of the Prince of Peace, of the Wonderful Counselor, of the Mighty God, of the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. Listen, have you ever felt like your sin was just too horrible to really be forgiven? For God to really use you? For God to truly, for God to truly love you? I know he loves me, but he couldn't couldn't really love me. Listen, God forgave an adulterous, lying murderer. And 
not only for David, but did one of the most important things in the history of the world. Maybe your God is bigger. And maybe your God is better. And maybe your God is more full of mercy than you ever thought he was. Maybe he's full of more grace than you ever thought he possibly could be. And then let's close with the names today with Joseph and Mary themselves, the parents of the earthly parents of Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember where they were from? Nazareth. Do you know what was important about Nazareth? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Later in the Bible, one of the religious leaders, when they bring up Nazareth, they're like, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? They couldn't believe that a Savior would come from Nazareth. Listen, Joseph and Mary, everybody knows Joseph and Mary now, right? They were nobodies. They were nobodies from nowhere. Like, they had no power, no control, no wealth. The only, if there was anything important about them, the only thing you could say is that Joseph was from the family line of David and Abraham himself. They weren't important at all. Church, have you ever felt like, yeah, God can use people, and he might do something through me, but like, I'm not that gifted. I don't know that many people. I can't stand up and preach. I can't do what that person does. I can't do what that person does. Yeah, God can use that person, but like, he really can't use me. I have nothing to offer. Are you kidding me? God chose Joseph and Mary, nobodies, from nowhere, with no power. And not only that, to show that it wasn't about us and about the power in the world, Jesus didn't come to a king. He didn't come to a noble. He was born in a barn, laid in a manger, and a part of a family that had no influence at all. Do you know why? Because it shows the power and glory of God to do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. If he was born to a king, the king would have got credit. No one can get credit except for God himself through Joseph and Mary and how Jesus Christ was born. In the most humble way possible. I always say to you guys all the time, it blows me how humble our God is. All the power, all the glory, all the might. Yet he comes humbly because he loves us. Now that's incredible. Church, we talk about this today because it does show us something amazing. That our God, our Father came not only to save the deceiver and the unfaithful and the unloved and the overlooked and the forgotten and the outcast and the prostitute and the adulterer and the liar and the nobody and yes, even the murderer. But here's, here's what I love. He also saved us through those kind of people. He saved us through those kind of people. And we celebrate at Christmas because Jesus Christ has been born into the world. Emmanuel has come. God is with us. And yes, we should celebrate that. Yes, it's the best part of the season. But listen, we should also celebrate how God decided to come so that he might show us just how big his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his love is for us who repent and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. So this Christmas, let's. Let's not just be amazed at that, that God came to be with us once again, the God-man, which is absolutely unbelievable. And let's not just celebrate that he came in the most humble way possible, being born in a manger. And finally, let's not just marvel at why he came, as Matthew 121 told us, so that the people could be saved from their sins. Let's be astonished at how and who he chose to come through. So that we all might, everyone in this room, might know that whoever we are, whatever we have done, and wherever we come from, that God's goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, is 
more. It's more. Now that is worth celebrating this, this Christmas church. Praise God. Man, just praise God that through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God once again lives with us. Emmanuel, God with us. For he is truly with us. So let's live in that joy. Let's live in that peace. Let's live in that hope this Christmas season, church. Man, I love you. Merry Christmas. Oh, heavenly.